Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa, as well as DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Jalani Tulo, and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. U.S. report accuses South Sudan's leaders of profiting during the war. Diplomats pledge funds to help earthquake victims in Tanzania. And U.N. General Assembly session gets underway in New York. In economics news, Libya's oil company to restart exports from seas ports. And in sports news, South Africa's medal count at the Paralympic Games rises to eight. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Moussa. South Sudan's government has rubbished a report commissioned by actor-activist George Clooney alleging massive corruption and war profiteering by leaders of South Sudan. A spokesperson for President Sovakir says the report released in Washington at a high-profile press conference headed by Clooney was both misleading and ill-intentioned. The report was prepared by the United States Human Rights Group Hollywood actor George Clooney and renowned activist John Brendergast. Clooney says his group is ready to present the report to international legal experts with a view to studying it and taking action against those involved in massive theft of public funds. We're prepared to give evidence of massive criminal behavior by the president of South Sudan and by his opposition, the ousted vice president of South Sudan and their generals. The simple fact is they're stealing the money to fund their militias to attack and kill one another. The evidence is thorough, it is detailed, and it is irrefutable. It involves arms dealers, international lawyers, international banks, international real estate. And it is because of these international actors that we are also able to provide solutions to help end this criminal behavior to protect innocent civilians. Ghanaian President John Mahama has outlined the ruling party's plans for the next four years in a bid to establish policy credibility ahead of what's expected to be a tight general election in December. The speech delivered before the launch of the National Democratic Congress manifesto on Saturday contained few attacks on the opposition New Patriotic Party. Mahama's bidding for a second and final four-year term in office and his speech contained proposals for industry, energy, infrastructure, health and education. 
Islamic State supporters have claimed responsibility for an attack on Kenya's sports city of Mombasa, in which three robed women tricked their way into a police station, stabbed an officer and set fire to the building. Militant attacks mostly claimed by al-Shabaab militants from neighboring Somalia have increased in recent years in Kenya. Sunday's attack in Mombasa appeared to be the first claimed by the group on Kenyan soil. In the Mombasa assault, the three women were shot dead. Police say they recovered an unexploded suicide vest from one of the attackers. Discussions around the ongoing violence in Syria and Yemen, as well as Burundi, the DRC and Ukraine, are expected to be the focus of the 33rd session of the UN Human Rights Council in Geneva. The council will also see the historic appointment of its first independent expert to protect the rights of lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender people. Created in 2006, the council's mandate is to strengthen the protection and promotion of human rights across the world. Council President Choi Kyom Lim of South Korea speaks about the commissioner's work. Obviously, since the start of their work, which was more than five years ago, there has been a great deal of frustration. But we need to continue to discuss situations in Syria, which itself is, I think, very important. And finally, the United Nations says it's ready to support the victims of an earthquake which struck in East Africa on Saturday, leaving 17 people dead. The magnitude 5.9 tremor hit the border area between Tanzania, Uganda and Rwanda. Some 170 people were hospitalized and 840 buildings have been destroyed. UN resident coordinator in Tanzania, Alvaro Rodriguez. We understand already that some of the priorities will be around shelter and what we call non-food items. There will also be need possibly for food. That's the news. It lands at 8.30 Central African time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you. And an American human rights group has accused South Sudan's Vice President Rick Macha and President Salva Kiir, as well as senior army officers, of stealing millions of dollars from state coffers over the past 10 years. But the Juba government and Rick Macha are yet to respond to the accusation. James Shimangula reports. The United States human rights group that made the accusation of stealing millions of dollars from state coffers against South Sudan President Salva Kiir and his former deputy Riek Machar is known as the Sentry. The group has just released a 65-page report highlighting how President Salva Kiir, former Vice President Riek Machar, as well as senior politicians in the Juba government and the top military men stole millions of dollars from state coffers. The report says President Salva Kiir earns about $60,000 per year, but he has spent millions of dollars to purchase expensive buildings in Kenya and elsewhere around the world. The report also claims that President Kiir's four children attend private schools in Nairobi, where he pays $10,000 per year. The report further claims that former Vice President Riek Machar has also amassed property outside the country thanks to state money, thanks to state money that is alleged to have stolen. 
No figures have been released by the group to show how much Machar has banked outside the country. The report accusing South Sudan leaders of making huge profits from state coffers was prepared by the human rights group's founders, Hollywood actor George Clooney and renowned activist John Prendergast. Clooney says his group is ready to present the report to the international legal experts with a view to studying it and taking action against those involved in massive theft of public funds. We're prepared to give evidence of massive criminal behavior by the president of South Sudan and by his opposition, the ousted vice president of South Sudan and their generals. The simple fact is they're stealing the money to fund their militias to attack and kill one another. The evidence is thorough, it is detailed, and it is irrefutable. It involves arms dealers, international lawyers, international banks, international real estate. And it is because of these international actors that we are also able to provide solutions to help end this criminal behavior to protect innocent civilians. Since 2014, the U.S. has given $1.5 billion in aid to South Sudan. The United States and the world recognizes that South Sudan cannot become a failed state, not simply because of the humanitarian crisis, but also because we have seen the influences that can take hold in a failed state. We can either take action now or we can spend the next decade mopping up the mess. Also speaking from Washington in the United States about South Sudan leaders profiteering from state coffers, prominent American activist John Prendergast had this to say. Unfortunately, in South Sudan today, war crimes actually do pay. South Sudan leaders no longer take seriously the threats made by the United Nations, by the United States, and others to impose consequences for their behavior. South Sudan's leaders have learned that rape, rape as a war weapon, child soldier recruitment, and mass killings are not enough to trigger any meaningful accountability measures. What's missing is international leverage. And so we consulted widely with banking and finance and policy experts, and we're proposing a new approach to creating immediate and we think unprecedented leverage to counter mass atrocities being committed in South Sudan. We're proposing to combine anti-money laundering measures with targeted sanctions focused on the top leaders. That was United States human rights activist Johnny Prendergast. So far, the Yuba government has not commented on the report. When I spoke to President Salva Kiir, the spokesman Wek Ateng Wek, he said he cannot say anything now until he studies the report. Efforts to reach Riek Machar in Khartoum, where he has been living since he left the country, bore no fruit because telephone lines went unanswered. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. The outgoing president of the United Nations General Assembly believes there will be no reform of the Security Council until two-thirds of the organization's membership can agree on a particular model of reconfiguration. Morgan's Leiketoft, 
whose term as president of the Assembly's historic 70th session ends today, expressed his impatience at the decades-long debate that has seen the emergence of different groupings among member states with different visions of what a reform council would look like. Heads of state and government converge on New York next week for the high-level segment of the 71st session of the General Assembly, which got underway yesterday. Show and Bryce Peace reports. I declare closed the 70th session of the General Assembly. There's a sense of deja vu here, with the reform negotiations now rolling over to the new session of the General Assembly with little substantive progress achieved in the last. Mogens Lickertoft is the outgoing president of the General Assembly. I feel personally the same kind of impatience with these intergovernment negotiations as you express. But, I mean, we have to realize that when it has been moving so slowly over the last couple of decades and not uh, uh, led forward to a result yet, it's because it takes a two-third majority that's stipulated in the Charter. It takes a two-third majority in the General Assembly and the ratification among the present permanent five to change anything about the Security Council. And I I think most people realize how much of a cash 22 that is. So while there is broad consensus among member states that the council should better reflect the geopolitical realities of the world we currently live in, there is very little consensus on what a reformed council should look like. The Africa Group, for example, has stood firm on its demand, as articulated in the Ezulwini Consensus, for two permanent seats with veto powers as long as the veto exists. But diplomats here say that group itself is struggling to agree on the countries that would fill those two seats. The questions of more permanent members and veto has, for the reasons I mentioned first, been very, very difficult. And I don't think that there will be a reform of the Security Council before at least two-thirds of the member states come together not on wishing reform, but on a particular model, and engage with the present permanent five and how to to do it. Other groups include the G4, consisting of Germany, Japan, India and Brazil, who all want permanent seats. The Uniting for Consensus group, led by Italy, does not support an expansion of the permanent category at all, while the L69 group of developing nations wants each category expanded. The permanent five members support reform to varying degrees, but largely remain non-committal on the specifics. Lickertoft explains further. There are good sketches around for compromise models, but nobody has been really willing to make a compromise yet. Uh, I mean, the elders, Kofi Annan and and associates, have brought forward ideas and so on and so forth. But you need the large majority of the member states of this organization to come together on a particular model as the first necessary step for moving this process to an end. A strong voice in the intergovernmental processes that birthed the Paris Climate Change Agreement and the Sustainable Development Goals, Ban Ki-moon remains comparatively absent from the reform debate, often only responding to direct questions on the issue. His spokesperson Stefan Dujrik 
disagrees. The Secretary General uh, throughout his tenure, uh, and probably more so recently than, than before, I think has spoken out. Uh, on the need for uh, for reform, whether it's on the need to reform the Security Council or how the General Assembly uh, does uh, goes about its, its working methods on the issues of consensus. Just because he doesn't have a mandate doesn't mean he can't speak to these issues. Hopes that the historic 70th anniversary of the founding of the United Nations would deliver a reformed council have now officially come and gone. Over 130 heads of state and government, including President Jacob Zuma, will participate in the general debate starting on Tuesday, September 20th. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York. Let's go back in time to today in 1918. The first cases of an unusually severe and deadly strain of influenza, popularly called Spanish flu or Great Flu, were diagnosed on this date in the South African city of Durban of a total population of just over 6 million at the time. Nearly half contracted the disease, while close to 140,000 died within a few weeks. That was today in history in the year 1918. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. The Africa Aerospace Defense and Exhibition was initiated by the Commercial Aviation Association of Southern Africa and World Air News and held at the very new Lenseria Airport north of Johannesburg, South Africa. The event that takes place from the 14th to the 18th of September offers companies the opportunity to showcase their products inside the indoor exhibition area, book hospitality chalets and display their aircraft in the static aircraft park and on the public days offer members of the general public the opportunity to view an international air show. The number of exhibitors has grown to 254, representing 21 countries. Channel Africa will be there, so join us on the 14th, 15th and 16th of September from 1100 Central African time when we will be broadcasting live from the Africa Aerospace Defense and Exhibition. This is an event you should not miss. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.18 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, South Africa's President Jacob Zuma says he is concerned about what he terms the abuse that he experiences each time he addresses Parliament. President Jacob Zuma has once again decried humiliation he faces in Parliament every time he answers questions. This follows his oral question session in the National Assembly yesterday where he was hackled by EFF and COPE MPs. Sabwe Ganeng has more. 
Earlier in the sitting, members of the EFF and Congress of the People walked out of the National Assembly as part of their quest to put pressure on President Zuma into resigning. Malema and his EFF MPs walked out of Parliament saying they were not prepared to listen to the President whom they branded as a thief and a criminal. ANC Chief Whip Jackson Tembu interjected and pointed out that the President was not in the House to be ridiculed. Before stepping off the podium, President Zuma called on Parliamentary Speaker Balakambete to ensure that there's order in the House. Each time when I come here, I am abused. Instead of answering questions, I sit here being called a criminal, a thief. I think this House must do something about it because we are going to make it very difficult for me to fulfill my constitutional obligation. If this house is not interested in me answering questions, you must say so, then don't call me. Responded to cause that he reverses the appointment of the chairperson of the board of the South African Airways, Dudumieni. President Zuma expressed confidence in her ability to lift the troubled national airline out of its financial difficulties. President Zuma's critics have accused him of protecting Mieni, whom they claim is his close associate. Opposition parties have also questioned government's decision to grant the national airline a 5 billion rent loan guarantee to restore its financial viability. President Zuma told MPs that SAA had in the past experienced difficulties and that different CEOs and chairpersons had not succeeded in turning the national airline's fortunes around. As an individual, I don't see any difference that has come from what she has done and from what other chairs have done before. The SAA has been in trouble. We are trying to get the SAA out of trouble. And therefore, the, the current board was submitted to cabinet recently and the cabinet has approved it. And I was not even there because I was out of the country. So I did not even argue in the cabinet. Cabinet took a decision on the basis of them looking at the board. On the SARS war saga, President Zuma denied that the presidency and the national treasury are at war with each other. Deputy President Cyril Ramaphosa has twice used the public addresses to speak out against the ongoing tensions between the finance minister Pravin Gordon and the Hawks. The president had in the meantime assured MPs that he's engaging Mineral Resources Minister Musebe Zizwani, who issued a statement about a cabinet decision to conduct a judicial inquiry into banks after terminating their relationships with the Gupta-owned companies. President Zuma had since distanced himself from Zwani's statement. The president reiterated that he knew nothing about claims of a government that is at war with itself. There is no war between the presidency and the treasury. There is no war within government. If those people, the statements are wrong, we deal with the matter. There is one matter I'm attending to of Minister Zwan. I'm engaging Minister Zwan on what he said. I don't think we should balloon that as if there is war in government. There isn't. The president has also outlined some government intervention initiatives to revive the ailing economy. This includes massive investments in mega-projects in the automotive and oceans economy sectors. The president has also welcomed news that the country's economy grew by 3.3% in the second quarter of 2016. Tsepo Ikaning, SBC News, in Pretoria.
Members of a diplomatic corps accredited to Tanzania and the business community have contributed about 700,000 US dollars and other relief supplies to help Tanzania's earthquake victims. An earthquake measuring at a magnitude of 5.7 on the Richter scale hit the Tanzania's Kagera region on Saturday. It left at least 17 people dead and over 200 injured, while thousands of houses were damaged. Gabriel Zakaria has more from Kagera West region of Tanzania. More than 1 billion Tanzanian shillings, including pledges, have been contributed by diplomats and business people as aids to support victims from Bukoba Kagera region who were affected from the deadly earthquake on Saturday. The aids assistance include iron sheets, blankets, mattresses, tents, and medical services, which will be donated to people affected with the earthquake in Bukoba, Tanzania, a city of more than 70,000 people. The diplomats could not hide their feelings following the tragedy. We are gathered here on a very different uh, occasion, uh, an occasion that happened in Kagera, and we have heard from the Honorable Prime Minister the extensive damage that happened of a 5.7 Richter scale earthquake that happened to have destroyed, injured many people. We feel certain to those who passed away. The Kuwait Embassy in Tanzania moved immediately after it received the news of the Kigera earthquake. With cooperation with the Kuwait Charity in Tanzania, Relief Organization provide the first phase of donation amounted 5 million Tanzanian shillings, which include food, water, and building materials. The review of the Islamic Heritage Society donate 10,000 US dollars. We always say that the world is a village, but I would like to say the world is a family, especially so when natural disaster take place. As I said, that we know very well how painful an earthquake is, so that's why the Chinese community immediately mobilized themselves in a manner of Neighboring countries such as Kenya is already donated aid support as humanitarian assistance for the quake victims in Bukoba district. Tanzanian Prime Minister Kasim Majaliwa, who led diplomats to support the victims, says Tanzania is appreciating the support made by good wishers who were touched by the tragedy that claimed the life of innocent people. Today I have called you for only one reason. As you may be aware that on the weekend we got a huge tragedy that claimed lives of our beloved ones after the earthquake hits Kagera region, which is our first time to experience. We had been experiencing small tremors, but not like the one hits the region. This is a new thing in Tanzania to happen. We have to accept it. We have lost our beloved ones, 17 in number, and more than 253 people injured, and four secondary schools have been affected. Among them, two are total demolished. Red Cross volunteers and staff are working on the ground as well as in the city's main hospital, which is currently stretched to nearly full capacity and has limited the stock of medicine. Renato Sumkaruka is Red Cross Disaster Management and Risk Reduction Spokesperson. 
in fact, we we are working very closely with the government and the, the when the quake struck, actually, one of the, the, the immediate actions that were taken by the Red Cross and the government was those who were seriously injured, they were taken straight to the medical facilities and the less injured ones were thoroughly given into, to the Red Cross volunteers for first aid and the ambulance services. So the services which have been given so far is actually medical treatment with the government facilities, first aid with the Red Cross. Three oil companies pledged to rebuild two secondary schools, Ihungo and Inyakato, that were completely damaged by the 5.7 quake within 30 days. Reporting for Channel Africa in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, this is Gabriel Zakaria. Let's go back in time to today in the year 2010. Sarah Schroed, one of three American hikers detained by Iran, was freed on 500,000 U.S. dollar bail after 410 days in prison. That was today in history in the year 2010. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. The Africa Aerospace Defense and Exhibition was initiated by the Commercial Aviation Association of Southern Africa and World Air News and held at the very new Lenseria Airport north of Johannesburg, South Africa. The event that takes place from the 14th to the 18th of September offers companies the opportunity to showcase their products inside the indoor exhibition area, book hospitality chalets and display their aircraft in the static aircraft park and on the public days offer members of the general public the opportunity to view an international air show. The number of exhibitors has grown to 254, representing 21 countries. Channel Africa will be there, so join us on the 14th, 15th and 16th of September from 1100 Central African time when we will be broadcasting live from the Africa Aerospace Defense and Exhibition. This is an event you should not miss. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, wake up. Africa, Africa, revetwa. Africa, Africa, wema. Sun rises. Yo sole eleve. Weya wema. What's in the happen, Africa? Africa, dumelang san bonani. Africa, mulishani, mulibwanji. Africa, enye yomi, kilon shele. Africa, ndinkim, kinkunume. What's in the happen, Africa? It doesn't matter where you come from. Lesotho, Kenya, Zambia, Ghana, Nigeria, Tanzania, Congo, Liberia, Togo, Ethiopia, DRC, South Africa, Swaziland, Morocco, Botswana, Gabon, Zimbabwe, Mauritania, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Liberia. It doesn't matter where you're from. We are one people. Channel Africa. 
Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is DJ Cleo with G Exploits from Nigeria. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. In the headlines, South Sudan's government has rubbished a report commissioned by U.S. actor, activist George Clooney alleging massive corruption and war profiteering by leaders of South Sudan. Ghanaian President John Mahama's outlined the ruling party's plans for the next four years in a bid to establish policy credibility ahead of what's expected to be a tight general election in December. And diplomats representing their countries in Tanzania have made cash, materials and pledges to support people affected by Saturday's earthquake. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. Controversial American pastor Stephen Anderson will no longer be allowed to enter South Africa. Home Affairs Minister Malusi Gigaba has signed in, has said in Parliament that his department received petitions from various lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex groups urging him not to allow Anderson into the country. He says they looked at the immigration laws, including the Constitution, and have decided to ban him. Abongwe Kobogana reports. Minister Kikaba says LGBTI group played an important role in the decision not to allow Pastor Stephen Anderson into the country. He says initially his department was willing to give Anderson permission to enter South Africa. We were on the verge of saying, no, we're not going to ban this guy, but should he come here and make uh, these offensive remarks, we would, uh, we would notify him. That should he come and make these offensive remarks, then he can be, um, he will be deported. But when this dossier came, and we checked it against the Immigration Act, we then changed our minds and said, no, 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 let's let's review the matter. Um, and 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 then after reviewing the dossier, checking through the constitution and the immigration act, we arrived at this determination. Kigaba says Anderson's anti-Semitic sentiments violate not only the laws of the country but also the constitution. The gentleman makes very disparaging remarks. He's a Holocaust denialist. He makes disparaging remarks against women and um, sometimes recklessly, ad- recklessly advocates for them to be killed. He makes disparaging remarks about Africans. He makes disparaging remarks about his own, uh, the American, uh, the president of the United States of America. He makes disparaging remarks about Muslims, about basically everything. And, and as um, Kunrad keeps reminding me, the, the only person who can survive this man's wrath is somebody who is a, a, a white male Baptist church member. Questions were also asked as to what will happen if a similar character like Anderson wishes to come to South Africa. But should there be people who are South Africans, then I think that the different activist organizations in the country, it's not an issue for, for LGBTI persons alone. 
it, it, it's an issue for all of us. That's why I was happy to receive messages from Archbishop Ndungane and, and other religious leaders because it said that there are many South Africans who believe that we cannot allow an affront of this nature to take place on our shores with us turning a blind eye to it. That report by Abongwe Kobogana. South Africans remain largely unfamiliar and unengaged with humanitarian action on an international scale. This according to the Global Medical Aid Agency, Doctors Without Borders or MSF. To improve the situation, MSF Borders last month launched a provocative digital awareness raising campaign challenging South Africans to consider international humanitarian action and its values. For more on this issue, here's MSF's Head of Communications, Bori Lachranya. Doctors Without Borders, we've uh, been working in South Africa for a number of years. And um, we know that South Africa, uh, as many other countries on our continent, have a really rich history where we act in solidarity with uh, human need when we see it, often very close to us. And this is quite the same for what we observe working in the Middle East as well. And so societies like this, they're very used to acting in the immediate environment. But what intrigues us is if there's such a strong feeling to act in interest uh, and to benefit other people, particularly with medical care. Why is it that we don't see high levels of engagement on international issues where uh, people's survival and health uh, are at stake? And we know from some surveys that we've done in the last couple of years that it seems to indicate to us that roughly about half of South Africans are able to recognize international humanitarian action or actors. Are you basically saying that in as much as half of South Africans recognize international humanitarian action, their support still remains in question? Well, what we see is when South Africans, and it's, it's true for many societies around the world, so when there's a big event, like a big natural disaster or a, a conflict that people know a little bit more about, like a civil war in Syria or in Yemen, they tend to focus on what's the problem or what has happened. What they don't often know about and what we're trying to do here is to talk about what are the principles and the values that underpin the action that should be urgent and immediate in order to save lives and alleviate suffering. So people don't often stop and ask themselves, well, why is it that this organization is reacting? Why is it that this member of my community is going far away to a place where he or she is unfamiliar with uh, people or individuals in that society, and they're still going there to provide assistance? In our case, it's uh, through providing medical care to people in crisis. And that's really what we want to try and do here is to, to have that discussion, because this is something that isn't discussed very often in South African society. People tend to look at the international news and all these crises are very far away way, but they feel sort of alienated by it and unable to connect to it, unable to see what role they can play. Now, what exactly entails humanitarian action? So humanitarian action is a very urgent pursuit of providing immediate life-saving services or alleviating suffering of people who are caught in crisis situations. So it's different from what South Africans are very familiar with, is like long-term development goals. So in short, it's a difference between teaching a drowning person how to swim while they're in the ocean or deciding to jump in and to bring them to safety. It's a difference between sitting on the sidelines and hoping that development work will eventually prevent Ebola from spreading 
because the health system is strengthened versus acting very urgently and a very focused purpose to set up isolation and treatment facilities when there is an Ebola outbreak. And that's essentially what it boils down to for us, uh, that humanitarian action is immediate, it doesn't ask questions about your affiliation, and it's purely just concerned about saving a human being's life because it is a human being, not because of what they may believe in or where they may come from. And how exactly does the MSF campaign seek to encourage humanitarian action from South Africans on a global scale? Jen, what we want to do with this campaign that we call We Care or We Don't Care is essentially we want to start a conversation. So we want to provoke people to think a little bit more about what they see in front of them and to question some assumptions. And I think a a good way for us to start that conversation in an environment like this is to do the exact opposite of what many charities have been doing for numbers of years when they're trying to communicate to people to try and get them to care. So often you'd find the charity says, please care about this cause or please care about that cause. You need to care more, give more. So what we're doing here is we're telling South Africans what we don't care about. And we're doing that in the hope of getting their attention and to provoke their own thoughts and interactions about the values and the principles that they actually realize that they share those with us. That as people, uh, we should provide assistance to others, to the wounded, to the injured, to refugees, survivors of sexual violence and the sick, because they're human beings and not because they have a particular affiliation to a political party or an ideology or a religion or a family or a clan or anything like that. It's We should act and save lives and provide medical care precisely because it's human beings that are suffering, not because those human beings share some sort of attribute that I or you have. And lastly, Bori, for how long will MSF be driving the WeCare initiative and how exactly can our listeners get involved? So, Jane, so Dr. Zrabola started this digital awareness campaign in August and we're using social media, so Facebook and Twitter and also some uh, display adverts on websites to connect with South Africans. And the idea really is that we pair world-class photography that depicts our work in the field with provocative slogans that uh, provoke people to kind of look at the picture again and to think about what they're seeing. So, for instance, we're saying that we don't care about stopping wars, but we care about stopping the bleeding. So for us, what's important is being able to treat a person in a war situation and to save their life. And because it's an online campaign, it's easy to get in touch with us by uh, just clicking through on the images that would take you either to our Facebook page, uh, which is MSF South Africa, or to our website, which is uh, www.msf.org.za. And that's where people can explore and learn more about our work as we do in 69 countries around the world, treating roughly about like 9 million people uh, every year. That was Bori Lachranya, Head of Communications for Doctors Without Borders, Southern Africa, speaking to Jane Rabutata. What is regarded as Africa's premier show of air, sea and land capabilities in the defense and security sector opens in South Africa today. The 19th edition of Africa Aerospace and Defense, or AAD, hosted for four days at the Vatorkluf Air Force Base in Pretoria, has attracted more than 400 exhibitors from over 30 countries. Among the participants are 
27 companies from the United Kingdom, which is recognized as a world leader in the security field. Sophie Lane is the Regional Director for Africa at the UK Department for International Trade, Defence and Security Organisations. She says the United Kingdom values defence relationships across Africa and welcomes opportunities like the ad to share experience and expertise. One of the first reasons that it's important is simply because it's such a major event across Africa. So in coming to South Africa to AAD, we're also able to engage with a lot of our partners across the whole continent. But it's also a really good uh, place to showcase a lot of UK capability. And we have 27 companies who've joined us at the show this year, which is a big increase on two years ago, and lots of companies who have become interested since our engagement two years ago. So it's really about us growing our relationships across Africa. It's said that the UK is, is a leader in various fields, counter-poaching, disaster relief, borders and maritime security. So which of the industries can be seen in Southern Africa, wider than South Africa only? At the moment, you've got a number of projects and a number of areas that you're looking at that we've been involved in helping with. So in terms of maritime security, you have a patrol vessel program that has been running for many years and we have a number of UK companies who are subsystems specialists who are working with South African companies to complement their bids into those programs. In terms of border security, we have a number of capabilities in terms of pattern of movement across borders. We also look at how you can use UAVs to increase the information flow that you've got and the surveillance techniques. And we are working together to try to look at holistic solutions around border security rather than individual capabilities that would have to be bought separately, but actually what is it that we can do to help strengthen a wider border management uh, issue. So we're looking across Africa with that, but actually particularly in South Africa, and it is very important to us that our allies have some of the special technology that we use in our own border security in order to strengthen their security and safety. You are of the opinion that South Africa is an important partner for the UK. Are relations, trade relations on the defence side already on a significant uh, format? Are you happy with what's going on or do you feel that there's still huge scope for development? I think both. I'm very, very happy with where we are at the moment, but we are also growing enormously our relationships. So two years ago, I came to AAD and I spoke with a number of South African companies that was Sophie Lane, Regional Director for Africa at the United Kingdom's Department for International Trades, Defence and Security Organisation, speaking to Channel Africa's Janine Gutzer. Now, for live coverage from the Africa Aerospace and Defence Expo, tune in to our programme Africa Dialogue at 11am Central African time. It's 8.45 and our economics update up next with Jalani Tulo.
Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Libya's National Oil Corporation says it will immediately start working to resume crude exports from ports seized in recent days by forces loyal to Eastern Commander Khalifa Haftar. NOC Chairperson Mustafa Sanala says all technical teams have already started assessing what needs to be done to restart exports as soon as possible. Pro-Haftar forces took control of the ports of Ras Lanouf, Es Saida, Brega and the Zoetina from a rival force allied to a UN-backed government in Tripoli over the weekend. Nigeria will not increase its gasoline prices this following an instruction by President Muhammadu Buhari to the oil minister and statal firm head. Oil Minister Emmanuel Ibe Kachikwe, the head of the state firm NNPC Maikanti Baru, and the entire government have stepped up efforts to keep fuel flowing into Nigeria without repeating the price increase of May and risking civil unrest. Shortly before the meeting, former Nigerian National Petroleum Corporation bosses had said, had said such an increase may be needed. Marketers say a steep devaluation of the Naira currency has made sales of petrol at government capped prices unprofitable. South African vendor-based VBS Mutual Bank has declined to comment on the home loan it granted President Jacob Zuma to pay off his Ngandla debt, citing confidentiality. The presidency announced on Monday that Zuma used a home loan from VBS to pay over $540,000 for non-security upgrades to his private residence as ordered by the Constitutional Court. VBS is a little-known bank with three branches in the Limpopo province and one in the Gauteng province. One of its directors Madambi Muvalwa says the bank's policies do not allow directors to reveal information on services offered to clients. We don't reveal people's uh, information. It can be trading, it can be loans. We don't. Only the, the person himself or herself can tell anybody about uh, his or relationship with the bank. But we, we don't do that. So we cannot comment on that. If people have picked it somewhere... Let them follow it where they picked it from. They will give them information. But we are not allowed to give information about other people's affairs. South Africa's finance minister, Pravin Gordon, says the newly appointed board of SAA has been instructed to appoint a new CEO and CFO. He was speaking during a debate in the National Assembly on the challenges facing the national airline. Gordon says despite the previous losses, SAA is an asset to the country. We can't allow a public asset to go to the ground. So we've appointed, in in terms of the immediate steps that we are taking, we've appointed the new board, as you know. We've instructed the board to commence a new process for the appointment of a CEO and CFO. And once the CEO is in place, he or she has to assess what kind of team there is around this person and take responsibility for compiling and putting in place a competent management team and finally, Ghana's budget deficit is expected to decline to 4.9% this year, against an initial projection of 5.3%. President John Mahama made the announcement on Tuesday in a speech to present highlights of the ruling party's manifesto ahead of an election in December. Gross domestic profit is expected to grow more than 8% next year, compared with a projected 4.1% this year. Taking a look at the financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 14.32 to the South African rand, at 10.69 to the 
Botswana Pula and at 9.96 to the Zambian Kwacha. It is also trading at 0.75 to the British Pound and at 0.89 to the Euro. On the commodities market, gold is trading at $1,319 and platinum at $1,033 an ounce. Finally, the price of Brent crude oil is at $47.30 a barrel. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Thank you, Jalani. Our sports update up next at Figilelingwati. First up in our sports update this hour, we begin with Paralympic news. Zanele Situ has won South Africa's eighth medal at the Paralympic Games in Rio. She won a bronze medal in the Javelin F54 category with a personal best throw of 17.9 meters, a personal best distance. Situ carried the flag at the opening ceremony and she's taking part in her fourth Paralympics. Team South Africa have now won eight medals in all, three gold, two silver and three bronze. The team have athletes involved in athletics, archery, para-canoeing, wheelchair tennis and para-cycling later today. On to football news, Lionel Messi scored his sixth Champions League hat-trick as rampant Barcelona inflicted on Celtic their heaviest ever European defeat. The Argentine forward cracked in an early first goal in the Group C match. Celtic's Musa Dembele had a penalty saved before Messi poked in his second. In the second half, Neymar's free kick sailed into the net. Andre Iniesta volleyed a fourth, Messi slid home the fifth, and Suarez scored with a volley and then a side-footed finish. Tanzania's mainland's women's team, Kilimanjaro Queens, defeated Rwanda's Shi Amavubi 3-2 to book a place in the Sikafa Challenge Cup semis in a goal-infested match held in Jinja. A brace from Asha Rashid and one from Stumai Abdallah were enough to sink the Rwandan side. The semi-final matches, according to the fixture, will be played at the same venue on the 18th of September before the final two days later on September the 20th. Prior to the final match, there will be a third-place playoff at the same venue. The win has put the Queens at the safe side unless she Amavubi beat Ethiopia by a big while also praying for Tanzania to concede a big defeat. And back home, South Africa's Football Association SAFA Technical Committee Chairwoman Natasha Chikla says senior national team coach Ifram Sheikhs Mashaba is going nowhere and the preparations for the 2018 World Cup qualifier against Burkina Faso next month have started in earnest. To come and present, that is uh, the, the, the plans and the program for next year. However, in the meantime, we, uh, you know, the issue of sex mashaba, it was not, as I say, this it was a scheduled meeting. We do exactly what we do every time, quarterly. We check all the reports, and uh, we, co- we will continue on Wednesday doing that. And therefore, uh, you know, when we're ready, we'll come back to you. But it's nothing like uh, sex mashaba, future, or anything has been elaborate in that forum in the technical committee, not at all. 
And finally, with swimming news, South African swimming legend Ronald Schumann believes that the country can ill afford to lose top coaches if the sporting code intends to be one of the biggest source of medals for the country in the Olympic Games. Chad Leclaw won two silver medals in the men's 100-meter butterfly and 200-meter freestyle events, while Cameron van der Berg grabbed silver in the men's 100-meter breaststroke race. Schumann cited an example of South African-born coach Craig Jackson, who left the country to coach Australia and produce champion at the Rio Olympics. I think we expected more. I know we wanted more. I think all of South Africa saw swimming as a, a major source of medals for the country. And it's, you know, I, th- I think you know, coming here as a coach myself and being able to see the processes, the, the steps, there's more that we can be doing. We're not, you, know, you look at the United States, you, you look at Canada especially. Canada's come out of nowhere, you know, with a system, you know, that, that they've improved greatly on. We were beating them. But now they're hands down significantly better than us. You look at a, a coach from, uh, from Australia, Craig Jackson. He used to coach in Johannesburg. South African boy, moves across to Australia, and then a few years later, he's coaching an Olympic champion. You know, why are we losing these coaches? Why don't we have this talent that we're keeping on? Jackson represented South Africa at the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. U.S. report accuses South Sudan's leaders of profiting during the war, and U.N. General Assembly session gets underway in New York. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutu Ramagadze and Tutongobeni, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to southern Africa. It's Kofi Olomide with a song titled Ravi. Je suis
Chaque parole n'a qu'à 